Hello and welcome to Free from the Real, episode 148, brought to you by PureMTGO.com, MTGOTraders.com, and CapeFearGames.com. You can hear us each week on PureMTGO.com, MTGOTraders.com, and MTGCast.com. I'll be one of your hosts, the ever-present AJ. With me is the uh, ever-reliable Sebastian. Hey, everybody. And the ever-innovative uh, Kia. Hey guys, how's it going? As ever, this is the Free From The Real podcast, bringing you all the news that's fit to listen to regarding the online game and things from the offline game which are of interest to us. And helping out the online game, there's been a bit of a call for help from the people at Wizards uh, regarding Magic Online. Become a Magic Online beta tester. Um, There's a link in the show notes for this, um, or you can go on to the site and look for the article titled, hopefully, Become a Magic Online Beta Tester, um, which links to a form to fill in to, uh, well, by this point you don't need to say Become a Magic Online Beta Tester again. <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty well covered. Yes. Yeah. Would... Beta, by the way, for those of you in the United States, is a beta, just in case yeah. you didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, those which... need that translator there. <laughs> it's the English transliteration of a Greek letter. What more do you want? <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's a pretty lengthy process, but you know it could be fun. You get a nice early look at the new client and see how things look. And for those that always complain about it, this is your chance to complain in a meaningful way. Yep. Not and, that your complaints aren't usually meaningful; they, they just aren't. And what's more important is they explicitly state this will be for the new Magic Online user interface. That's great. Yeah. I went ahead. I filled out an application. Uh, I actually I haven't been a, done a beta testing since I want to say like fifth dawn or something like that. I I was in like one or two many 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 moons ago. Um, I just remember the wacky draft formats that they have set up then, so I have no idea what it looks like now. I believe but, during, uh, during the fifth dawn release, we had the interesting bug with the white manor. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that now. Yeah. So that, I must have been the fifth dawn one. Unless that happened in multiple ones. Uh, just the fifth old one, but it was fairly memorable. That was the bug where white mana cost zero. Yes. <laughs> so they give a huge, huge advantage to people trying out white decks and white cards. <laughs> Dawn Elemental was fun. Yeah. But they, they, but, fi- uh, yeah, they fixed that before release. Um, but this is more of the... Um, uh, beta test for the upcoming relaunch. This is the big one. This is the client which they hope will actually be appealing and playable and useful. So yeah. it really is important that we get people in there to say, no, don't do that, please. We tried it last time. Don't do that. Yeah. So people with, with strong UI theory and application skills, please sign up to become a beta tester. Yeah. Oh, I should probably sign up. Yay. <laughs> exactly. Um even if you're not particularly good with the UI, but you know that you get frustrated when you have to click through half a dozen things to get what you're trying to get to, sign up and say, this is what that does that, please don't do it. Yeah, this is dumb, just do this. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, there's our bits of the uh, mothership, so to speak. And now uh, we have something on the um, Grand Prix schedule uh, updated. Uh, what's the latest on that, Cam? Uh, well, uh, we have the second wave of Grand Prix's uh, released. 
um, which include a handful of events in the U.S., uh, some in Europe. There's a couple in Asia. There's even one in your backyard, AJ, in Manchester. Manchester uh, is in hardly my backyard, but yes. Uh, <laughs> well, compared close compared to our backyards, yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, in America, 100 years is a long time. In the U.K., 100 miles is a long distance. And up north in Manchester is quite away from my bit of the country. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, but so we have that schedule released, and it covers um, those events up through the next Grand Prix. And the other big thing is they, based on player feedback, they have announced a slight change in the Grand Prix um, to where, in addition to awarding Planeswalker points, that the winner of the Grand Prix will be invited to the next Pro Tour. Um if they're in the early part of the year, you'll get invited to the first Pro Tour. If they're in the middle part of the year, the second, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, and they give you the full breakdown on that. So basically, we now have the world's largest, most competitive PTQs uh, with big prize payouts as well. Basically, yeah. I mean, it's it's weird because they used to invite the top 16, so they rolled that away, and then they roll it back. And they seem to make it look a lot better than it actually is. But that's just my opinion. Well, I think it was just, you know, they has because of the huge outrage, because people felt, you know, doing well in a Grand Prix should guarantee you a spot on the Pro Tour, because they are so incredibly hard uh, to do so well in. So it would make sense. I, I thought a lot of people figured if they doubled the number of Grand Prix, then they should get it to the top eight, because then you're inviting the same number of people, roughly. Uh, but I do know what the other part of the factor is, that all the people uh, who are invited to the Pro Tour, no matter which way they're invited, uh, get a plane ticket. So that might have factored in there as well. Yep. True. Yeah. The only downside I can see is that there's a good chance that people who the, – the person who wins the Grand Prix is probably already invited to the Pro Tour through some other means. The, but, question, you know. the question is, will the invite therefore be handed down? So that I they don't will, believe so. Well, in which case it's a nice little money saver and a uh, uh, fillip to the fans without actually giving them anything. Yeah, very true. But then again, you know, every now and again you have some uh, some local heroes who manage to squeak out and win GPs. Not as often, but it does happen. Well, we shall uh, observe events with uh, great interest then. Yes. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's at least a step in the right direction compared to, to some other announcements related to um, organized play, so that's good. Fair enough. Alright, so on that note, let's have a look at um, uh, the promos coming up. The Friday night promo for January to be specific, and it's, well, it is technically playable for a certain deck in a certain format. Yes, that would be the first FNM promo of the new year will be Glistener Elf. Nice. The one green, one one with Infect. I'm actually pretty excited about this one because if you do manage to snag a foil one by playing at one of the events, there's someone out there that would probably pay you a pretty penny for that um, to, you know, pimp out their popper deck. Exactly. Yeah. Especially now that Infect will see a lot more play in popper uh, due to the widespread release of Invigorate with yes. Mask events. So now they're no longer 10 tickets or 20 tickets or whatever they eventually became. They're expensive. Twenty sounds about right. They're planeswalker costs. Yeah, well now you can get them for about a dollar, and they're probably only going down. Hmm. Nice. Fair enough. Yeah, but uh, unfortunately, we don't have an art 
for it yet. We just know that it's pretty strongly successfully rumored to be the uh, promo for January. So. Well, there were some promo arts which were uploaded to MDGO during uh, November, and it's um, in the thread we've linked in the show notes. Um, a fair way down there is a link to what some suspect may be a picture of it. Oh, okay, yeah. And there's also some others as well that they've released. They have uh, – oh, yeah, there there is the art there. It was released along with uh, promotional art for Tectonic Edge and Despise, although we're not sure how and in what fashion those will be promos. Now, Tectonic Edge could be useful. I mean, that's a card which um, – uh, well, if you've got the uh, Wasteland equivalent in uh, uh, sets, it's I believe it's second only to um, – or even in some places better than um, Ghost Quarter in terms of a wasteland equivalent of modern. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's, I mean, they, it's definitely a playable card and has, you know, somewhere an application and despise as a really good card too, in my opinion. So I think that'll see some use. So, you know, pretty good picks right there. That's three promos, three potential promos in a row that will all be useful somewhere. Well, hopefully, well, depending on the time yeah. anyway. Yes. Right. So, you know, look out for those Thursday Night Magic events, win some elves, some corrupted elves. Oh. They don't look that elfy, they'll give you that for free. Yeah, that's that's true. (laughs) On to what we can expect online in the coming weeks. The Mask Block release uh, is continuing on at least until... uh, um, at least through the holidays. Uh, we don't have any word on holiday celebrations yet, which is a bit of a um, gap from previous years where we've already, where we've by this time usually had a post about um, the various things which we'll have to do to um, get that year's um, premium deck series uh, deck, which tends to be available du- during this event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if history is any indication, then we'll have some kind of events which will allow players the opportunity to win the, the Graveborn deck uh, by playing in various tournaments. So hopefully we'll get word on that soon, and hopefully they do continue that, because it is a fun little way to create interest in events in a time that's kind of a gap, really, because there's not a whole lot going on in yeah. the paper world. And, of course, people tend to be involved in things with, like, families and uh, giving gifts and that sort of thing. Well, depending I mean, I on guess. that. Depending on their location, of course. So. Yeah. If you're bogged down by such things and you know can't sit and play magic events 24/7. Mm-hmm. All right. I believe that's all the news we have for this week. So, what can you tell me about the um, more interesting prices available at the moment? Uh, oh, I mean, uh, uh, everything's really low. Is, is, is a good point. Um, I mean, we have a lot of mask block commons and uncommons and rares that are doing decently. Uh, we have the black market, which is a card I've never heard of before, uh, at four tickets. Uh, Charisma, another card I've only heard about in passing, at four tickets. And Dustball, a card I have heard about, but I haven't seen in years, at six and a half. Well, Charisma is a card I was looking forward to because... Um Although the cost is rather prohibitive at three blue, you stick that on something which deals damage to everything, and you've got everything. Yeah, they're all yours. 
yeah, I thought it would be interesting if we we kind of went through. Obviously, in mass block, everyone knows, you know, if you get a, if you open up a port, a tangle wire, a misdirection, those are obviously cards that you take and draft for value purposes. But there's a lot of cards that maybe fly under the radar and you don't realize that by taking this card, you could potentially cover the cost of your pack, um, at least for now. So there's just a lot of cards that fit into either niche formats or they work out very well in some other area or someone, you know, people just really like them. Um, and they work there. Some of and some of them are just kind of priced high, and I'm like, I don't even know what this card is, and I can't imagine why it's this high. But uh, we put them on here. <laughs> yep. Uh, some of them have historical relevance, like Nether Spirit. I think is kind of just a a gift back to its old days. It has a price of 275. And then you have cards like Belb's Portal, uh, with its obvious implications for like tribal decks, uh, which is available at three. Now, looking at it from a trial perspective, uh, five mana is a lot to um, pay for an enabler. And especially since you have to pay eight mana before you can do anything. And if you can pay eight mana, you can usually pay most anything to get a creature to play. So it, I can see it has use, but um, yeah. I'm not sure it justifies the price it has at the moment. Yeah, someone may try it. And obviously this is still a, you know, a high early part of the release event, so it's obviously not going to stay there. Its price will come down over time. Well, it depends. Um, and it, yeah, and if it, turns out, if it turns out it doesn't really work, then that well, it's not that effective, then yeah. It also depends a lot on the popularity of the uh, Masks events, which seem to be okay at the moment, but uh, we'll see if it can carry on for the next few weeks. Yeah, that will be interesting. But yeah, just you know, take a quick look through the list so you have an idea of some cards that... Uh, can help you recoup some of your losses should you not do so well in the actual event. Mm-hmm. Like Core Haven is six dollars. That one, I, I, I don't know. Anyone have anything on that? Why is this card six dollars? No idea. Yeah. Rarity. <laughs> I mean, but it's just as rare as every other card, every other rare in the the collated packs. Yet it's six dollars. Fentron. I suppose Core the. Haven. The activation cost is a fair bit cheaper than, um, I believe, wasn't there a, uh, the Azorius um, land had a similar effect? Uh, it, maybe, yeah, but doesn't, I mean, wouldn't Maze of Ith do the same thing? Like, I don't, I don't know. It, well, seems, Maze... pretty lim- it seems pretty limited in what its applications, and I can't imagine why you would pay $6 for it. But... Maze of Ith, yeah. I suppose um, does it a bit better. Yeah. Well, Although, right. I mean, this produces colorless mana, whereas Maze of Ith doesn't, to be fair. Yeah. Although, it doesn't really compare that well to Mystifying Maze. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just... that I saw it, and I, I kind of reread it and make sure, like, I lined it up correctly. I was like, did I actually... Is this the card that's actually $6? Yes? Oh, okay. And I, could, I got nothing. Oh, it'll come down, then. Yeah. Provided... Someone, Provided I got nothing is the general response, it will come down. Yeah. Someone let, let us know if you have a reason to explain why Corhaven is the bee's knees. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. Any other interesting ones? Unmask. Unma- Unmask is a personal favorite card of mine. I'm very excited. I'm probably going to start playing Dredge again in various formats with the release of this card, so... Yeah, a um, 
Well, it's, it's a fairly expensive cost. Pay two cards, uh, rip one from their hand. But if you're going off and winning, then yeah, I suppose so. Exactly, yeah. You only need to make sure you can clear the way to do whatever you want in that deck, because your hand is really your graveyard. So it really breaks the free cost on that card. Fair enough. Yeah. And I already got one of them in the mini Masks events I played, so I'm on my way. Unmask, unfortunately, was a... Uh, it seems like a bit of a rallying cry to people who had to uh, play through the set the first time. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Very true. All right. I think that will kind of cover the prices. Uh, we got a couple other cards here. You can feel free we've listed out. It's pretty much every mask rare worth more than a dollar or two, uh, excluding, obviously, the, the big three. That are well known: Tangle Wire, um, Rashad and Port, and Misdirection. Because hmm. so, those will be fluctuating for a while, obviously. Yeah. To try to get their playsets. But you know, if you see those in your in your draft pack, just just click it, just add it to this pool. Nether Spirit seems interesting in that one of them is useful, two of them aren't. True story. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I think the only that's got to just be a gift uh to its old school usefulness in ne- in like Nether Go decks, which were actually pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Sort of. <laughs> Quite useful just uh, with ma- with madness, I'd imagine. Or yeah. rather, um just any of the uh, discard stuff from from Odyssey. Ditch yeah, the that. madness enablers. Mhm. Alright, fair enough. Yeah, I mean it's 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 always hard to say because these prices may or may not drop as a result of just the um, scarcity of these cards. These events aren't firing as fast or as hard as the other sets, so it's it's hard to say. But um, for the time being, it looks pretty legit to me. Yeah, and it's also it's hard to figure out because this is the first card a lot of these first time a lot of these cards are available in some formats, because these are in some formats that only exist on, on Magic Online, really, it's hard to really evaluate their power and how they're going to impact, and so some things may surprisingly become valuable, and you'd be like, why Why is this card going up? I don't get it. And then you find out it's played in some fringe format that you don't really er, get involved in, and you don't realize it's worth something. So. Yep. It'll be interesting to see how that shapes up. Agreed. And that would kind of cover the prices for this week. Um, so now we will get on to continuing our new segment. We have the, the question of the week. And this week's question that we have is, what was the first deck that you really remember building as far as Magic goes? Um, AJ, you want to take a stab at that one? That's a really hard question. Um, I can remember piecing together decks on uh, the old Chandelar uh, computer game, which was pretty much the first one I had contact with, first time I had contact with the cards um, in a deck-building context. Um, then there were... It's really... Let's see... Ah, it's... There's no real outstanding decks per se, more sort of um, just what you had at the time. 
yourself? Yeah. Uh, well, for me, I remember, I guess I was in middle school at the time, uh, or junior high, depending on what part of the country you're from. We'll say sixth or seventh grade. And the first deck I built is when I first started playing the game. It had to, it was this green white concoction of just kind of creatures. And I just remember there was occasionally a good card there. Like I had like a regrowth, you know, just from the cards you have. But my big focus on the deck was beating you up with Sarah Angels and Forces of Nature. Nice. Uh, yeah. Great combo, by the way. <laughs> white, white, and green, 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 green. Green, 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 green. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I mean, I just remember those being like my two favorite creatures of all time, and so that those were like the ones I got four of each, and I would just, and I think I had like white knights in there, and just like that, it was just like green white dudes basically, and that was like the first like real like deck that I had like assembled. Huh. So it was a lot of fun for a while, and then I got bored of it. I remember switched to like blue black with Mah- basically the same principle, just Mahamodi Jins and Singer Vampires. These are like a lot of big creatures back in the day. I believe Sir Mix a lot sang about that once. Yeah. <laughs> that was definitely one of his tracks. Had to be the influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that green white deck, I'll always kind of fondly remember just beating up other kids at the lunch table with uh, Sarah Angels and, and Forces of Nature. Hmm. How about you, Sebastian? Um, the first real deck I remember, so I remember getting the first magic cards I had were from 7th edition, actually. Um, I, I didn't really pay attention to it back then, though. And so the first real deck I remember was in middle school. I played the black-white clerics deck. And I remember just, like, how awesome it was to finally get my hands on a uncommon, not from a uh, a theme deck. And I also remember being ripped off and people using rules to screw me over. I remember someone telling me that he could skull clamp my creatures. Yeah. Not <laughs> friends anymore. <laughs> As if that card wasn't already good enough. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I, I should have probably looked at the rules, but I was just like, you know, a friend wouldn't lie to me. And so I actually, uh, recently, after I went to U.S. Nationals a couple of years ago, I ran into him again back home, and I'm like, dude, I remember you told me that Skull Clamp worked on my creatures. Screw you. <laughs> so, now, so. Theoret- theoretically, you can build a deck which will let you put Skull Clamp on your opponent's creatures. Uh, all you'd need is... Um, uh, Isochron Scepter and uh, Metallic Theft, which is a red instant for those who don't remember, costing one red mana with the text Attach Target Equipment to Target Creature. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. So he would he would kill your creatures and draw cards? Yeah, exactly. That's, that was a pain. That's just... <laughs> oh, man. I can't believe... It, it's, there's, a, there's a disconnect here between a player of your caliber and a trick like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we all start in the beginning, so. Yes, yeah, it's true. Now, I do recall a few decks from the um, uh, Magic the Gathering Interactive Encyclopedia, which was their very first play people online offering. Um, as you can imagine, they were basically tribal decks. Uh, one which I recall was an attempt to break Elephant's uh, Graveyard with various elephants and mammoths. And the other uh, was a fairly effective lizard tribal deck using the uh, obscure lizards from Urza's. <laughs> effective obscure lizards. I'm me. It works. <laughs> yeah, I'm very true. I'm sure that's very true. 
I actually remember one of the one of the earliest decks that I had built early on uh, was kind of a tribal deck. I actually called it the uh, the Law and Order deck because it was it was like when Mirage had come out, so I was playing lots of the flanking knights, and it was like a five color deck with all the various knights and then the circle of protections. So it was knights and cops. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> that deck was not so great. <laughs> so what embarrassments of the deck builder's arts can we get our audience to dig out from their memories? Yeah, so please uh, leave in your comments if you remember any either, you know, early decks you built or the first deck you built that you really remember. Any goofy deck stories when you look back, you're like, man, what was what was I thinking? What was mm. what was this? <laughs> <laughs> Do these cards actually go in the same deck? <laughs> so, yeah, share with us. Uh, let um uh, everyone know in the comments, um, and we'll all have a good laugh together and uh, uh, look anxiously at our modern decks to hope that there's nothing similar. Exactly. <laughs> or indeed our modern decks. <laughs> or our modern modern decks. <laughs> anyway, what have you been playing, Gear? Uh, well, Mass Block Sealed, Sealed Events is the name of the game for me. Uh, pretty much as soon as I got home from work on Wednesday after the downtime, that's that's all I've been doing. Um, I've played in mostly sealed events so far with a slightly above 500 record. And, uh, you know, I've done all right. Like I said, my very first event, I got a misdirection. And then my second one, I got a port. Um, and I did okay in those. I had one event where I kind of just bombed out. And the one that was the most annoying, I was actually playing one of the premier events for the sealed. I was 3-1 and one with a pretty decent deck when the event crashed. And so we just had to all ask for a re- refund request. Which is sad. Normally, when those happen, you want to be like, you know, one and one and three, not three and one. But then you're not in the event at that point. Just like, oh, whatever. Well, that, that was one of the ones because with these release events, you have 33 people and there's payout for top 32, so you got to eke out a couple of wins. Gotcha. Yeah, but uh, that's what I'm doing, you know, and I'm enjoying them, even though it's it is one of the slowest formats in the universe, and it for me, it's it's mostly it just seems like it's hard to get like big dude dudes on the board to kind of bust through. There's just a lot of small creatures. And then just the sheer number of activated abilities that exist between things like mongers and all these enchantments that do stuff and creatures with activated abilities, they just really kind of seem to slow a lot of the games down. So uh, it's a little bit tedious at times, but um, it's I feel like I'm getting a little better having a little more fun with it. So Nice. Interesting how it ties with something with... Um... Mark Rosewater was saying the other week about uh, complexity on the board and complexity uh, as you grok it, so to speak. It's, um, yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of digging it, though. I feel feel like a lot of my opponents that I've played that aren't so good with board complexity, like I think that's something I've kind of grown up with in Magic, and some people aren't used to it. Like one of the things I've noticed is pretty much any time there's a monger on the board, whether it's mine or my opponents, I always seem to end up ahead. (laughs) Nice. I'm not sure how or why exactly, but I just seem to find better ways to use the monger regardless of who played it. Very nice. Fair enough. Could be worth giving me to go then. Yeah, but you can definitely see a huge difference between like what like what Mark Rotosaur was talking about on like sheer board complexity and decisions when you play a mass block event versus like an Innistrad block uh, event. And clearly I feel like the, the more modern sets are much more fun in that regard. Yeah. They're learning and going in the right direction then. Exactly. Alright. Sebastian? Uh, I've been playing some mass block. Not very well. 
Um, I haven't really opened anything of value with the exception of a misdirection, which is annoying, to say the least. Uh, beyond that, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's been interesting, I'm not going to lie. It's been very, very interesting. Um, just playing some other decks here and there. Um, in the middle of finals right now, it's not a ton of time to play. Yeah, that's that's kind of tough. So is that uh, interesting times version of interesting then? <laughs> yes, yes indeed. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. All right. How about you, AJ? What, what you been doing? I took um, a Fist of the Sun's Eldrazi deck um, for the weekend because sometimes you just feel like dropping a huge monster which wrecks the game on the board. <laughs> yeah. Can't can't argue with that. Definitely can't. Uh, nearly finished in the money, but uh, was uh, kept out by none other than our own one million words, uh, oh. Pio Pete Jan, who uh, was running a uh, fairly powerful um, illusions deck using uh, forces of wills, uh, days, and uh, uh, various other counter spells to uh, keep me from wiping them off the board. Huh. Yep. Seems like a pretty good strategy. If it works, it works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, well done to Pete John, and um, we'll see where things go next week. Mm-hmm. Yep. I didn't even realize he played anymore. Oh, um, he's in, it's so it's so hard running into him. Yeah, he actually he plays in the uh, he's in the current the classic league, uh, which is going on. And else that I did forget to mention, probably because I wiped it from the memory. Uh, I did make it to the top out, and I had a top eight. And had a very swift uh, quarterfinals exit at the hands of Dredge. So, <laughs> mm. Yeah. Uh, Which I kind of felt like was going to happen. I as when I saw the matchup, it was the Dredge player that I'd actually beaten in the the Swiss rounds, and I always I do not like replaying people that I win against in the Swiss because for some reason that just typically does not go in my favor. Yeah. And it's, and it's Dredge. You know, sometimes you just get dredged out. Happens. Yeah. yeah. Why the deck's good. I think uh, Pete's currently doing a series on various um, player-run events, and uh, this was a fairly substantial part of it. So, yeah, maybe we'll see a uh, uh, reference in uh, State of the Program at the end of this week. Mm-hmm. If so, um, yeah, we'll uh, see what he says then. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I played some Adj, MP, Scrub, I don't know. He was playing some big creatures, I just crushed them. <laughs> Pretty sure what the write-up will say. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. <laughs> well, if that's the case, then I won't plug his program, then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then you'll get cut off. Yeah, we're deleting that part. <laughs> all, all right. right. I think that's all we've got for you this week. Uh, anything you want to add, gentlemen? Um, nope, I think we're kind of covered everything for right now. Just yeah. looking forward to some more mask block events and some holiday events. And remember, guys, open either mercenaries or uh, rebels, not both at the same time. They really don't have much of a deck. Yeah. Preferably um, uh, the rebels. They yeah. tend to curve up rather than curving down. Exactly, yeah. I'd rather, rather chain up. <laughs> All, right. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll talk to everybody next week. Yeah. Have a good week, everybody. All the best till then. Bye.